This is Sunday Recap. Sunday Recap. A weekly sermon podcast. With Dave, with Dave, Ken, Frank, and Joey. Good Hey, Welcome to another week of Sunday Recap. We had an extra, um, I don't want to say crazy Sunday, but an extra busy Sunday. So I feel less prepared for the recap. Chris was mentioning the same. I don't know about Jim or Dave. Dave probably feels like it was the best Sunday ever. No stress. And he's ready to go. I'm ready to go. Jim had extra duties, so I don't really know how he's feeling. How you feeling, Jim? Uh, I'm here. <laughs> yep, that's how Jim's feeling. <laughs> Perfect. Well, let's get to it. Should we get to it? Should we talk about it? How about you do your business update actually first, Dave, for people who missed it or heard mm. it or their kids yeah. were running around and they don't really know. What is our business update? Yep. Why was Sunday extra busy and what Sunday mm-hmm. looked like? So Sunday was the first Sunday that we had more than the bare minimum volunteers in the room. So we had, uh, we tried to invite our larger team of, of Sunday volunteers and leaders that might be helping us in the future so they could try it out as an experiment. So we had uh, maybe 50 total. I can't remember. But anyway, we've got about a 75 person capacity and we squeezed in about 50 folks tried it out um and we're going to try to do that more in the future um so beginning the opening up process for in-person services that are still social distanced i think so we're still trying to like figure out how do we do these services with social distance we did singing outside and then had people come in for the sermon um, because with the coronavirus stuff we're still seeing a lot of you know with everything with this whole pandemic the data is not all in but with the data we've got singing seems to be a a much higher germ spreading activity than just you know going to Lowe's or whatever so so we're doing singing outside on the patio with the monitor and then bringing everybody inside and it seemed to go pretty well it was still it was still weird and experimental but i think it went well you mentioned capacity and i think capacity has been a confusing thing can you help explain yeah. our capacity at grace bible church and what we're getting yeah. that from so there are two lines the governor has been pointing to, which has caused a little bit of confusion. It depends on the business and depends on the place, right? So a lot of places are now opening up to 50% capacity, um, but churches are still asked to practice social distance. So that puts us at about 75 people. Um, and, you know, for a church of 500, that's a little bit limiting, but we are, we're trying to figure it out and make it work. So our capacity is 75. That's where the seats are spread out and stuff. So it's not it's not a solid 75 because families might make it be able to be a little bit closer, but judging strictly yeah. based off of being able to mostly stay six feet apart, it's about yeah. 75 people. Yeah. There's a, little, you know, there's a little wiggle room up and down. And, and the way the governor's guidelines are written for like churches and movie theaters and other large gathering places, it's you don't really have to count the staff. But then that's a little tricky. Like half the staff and volunteers are like watching half of the cert. You know, they're helping with parts and watching parts, and so it's that that's gets a little tricky too. As we're trying to figure out some of those details, like where do they sit? Do they go in the other room? Do they go stand outside? You know, mm-hmm. so 
Um, but yeah, we've got some wiggle room. It's roughly 75 people. And so we did that this week. Do we have any plans moving forward or we're working on things? What's yeah, anything you want to say? I'd say, yeah, the staff, you know, we are talking about it, but for everybody else, we're looking into doing, you know, at least one service per week where people are there in person that would have very limited capacity at 75 people would probably have to like register to kind of reserve a spot and maybe try to rotate. We, we have no idea how we're going to make that work. Maybe honor system or maybe uh, drones that will send to fly over your house or something. Um, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. then the other thing we're talking about is maybe more outdoor services. So, so everybody knows out there and listening land that the staff is trying to figure that out. We're thinking through like noise pollution for our neighbors and time, you know, like if we did a, sunrise service boy, it'd be nice and cool but all our neighbors would hate us we have <laughs> we have tons of apartments around us so that's not really uh that was my first thought let's do a sunrise service every week outside but that's probably not the kindest thing to do to our neighbors so maybe an evening service of some kind maybe rotating different weeks we're, we're not sure we, we will see more to be announced okay pay attention and find out what's coming up We'll let you know at some point, Mm -hmm. somewhere, Mm -hmm. some way, somehow. Sometime. Maybe. Maybe. Yeah. (laughs) Just kidding. We're working on it. We're working hard. We're We're not hardly working. We promise. And I want to say, you guys, uh, Kendrick, who couldn't jump on with us today, have just done tons of work. And I thank you for your hard work. Um, I just get to preach sermons. That's awesome. I did actually move chairs this week, so I got to get real sweaty do a lot of physical labor this week, which was very good for my soul. Um, but you guys have done a great job beefing up our tech so that we can communicate the gospel to people in strange circumstances. So thank you for that. So that we can tell the stories of the King. We're, in, we're in a new sermon series. Will you tell us mm-hmm. about it? Will you tell us why we chose stories mm-hmm. of the King? Uh, what it yeah. means? It's all new. Yeah. Man, I think we are all longing for like utopia, right? We're longing for things to be good and right and the world feels fractured and frustrated. And um, so the idea is that Jesus is the real king and he's going to show us as the true king how we should live, uh, how we should trust him, what life should be like. And so that's the kind of need of the moment. The other need of the moment is because of coronavirus, you know, we still don't have a lot of separate, well, we don't have any separate children's ministry right now. And if we do add any, it'll be very limited. So, um, so with kids and families together, I was thinking through ways that we could help parents with that, you know, that thing that a lot of parents don't feel equipped for just like leading their kids to, to know the stories of the Bible. So I was like, let's, let's do stories of Jesus Naked baby just ran by. Um, and <laughs> <laughs> what? I missed it. I'm glad I missed it. Not it wasn't my house, right? It was, it was Chris Webster's shot. Here it comes oh. again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's wearing a swimsuit. So the, They're uh, going swimming. <laughs> so, Stories of Jesus is very simple and direct. Man, let's tell the stories of Jesus. So, there's a skill I want us to work on this summer of retelling Jesus stories and I want us to start practicing it. I'm going to try to, as the story, as the summer unfolds, kind of give more guidance on ways to practice that. Mm-hmm. We're coordinating with the Jesus storybook Bible. 
Uh, and so the stories I'm going to do each week are will be matched by a Jesus Storybook Bible story. So, so what? I have a question. Yeah. What? What? So what's your hope? Uh, like, like concretely for parents, so they'll. Mm-hmm. You know, like, can you can you describe what what a week of using this new sermon series will? What would that look like for a parent? Yeah, or I what think, do you envision? Yeah, yeah, I think throughout the week. I mean, it could be daily. It could be just once or twice during the week. Uh, rereading the Jesus Storybook Bible, um, then rereading the Bible story uh, a couple of times that we preached. Then talking about like, hey, you know. What do you think is the difference between how she told it and what it says in this Bible story and then training the kids to summarize the Bible story? There's a skill that's huge in, in education that I think gets lost in the shuffle a lot of times because we are very pen and paper oriented in the modern world. And that is listening and narrating back what you've heard. That's a huge skill. A lot of studies showing that that you know, really, really helps kids' brains develop, really helps them understand and take hold of what they're learning. Um, but often we don't do that, right? Like we listen to a story and then we like fill out a worksheet about it. Or, you know, that's kind of what we've been doing in the modern era. A lot is a lot more worksheets and less oral narration. So, so I would love parents to just practice that, like read the Bible story. All right. Tell me the story. What did you hear? All right, Johnny, tell, you tell me the story. What did you notice? And then maybe they do it again the next day. They read the story and they tell it back again. Does anything, did you notice anything the second time we read it? You know, so just practicing listening and retelling, I think. It's very basic and it can be done, you know, you could spend three hours a day doing it. <laughs> just, it's too much for small children. I mean, you could spend a lot of time doing it, honing it you know, memorizing it, getting in great detail. Um, but you can also do it in a very small, like, let's just do it twice this week. We're going to listen to the story and retell the main points that we heard. And that's a really good way to train your brain to digest, understand, and pass on the biblical truth. Yeah, that's awesome. And, and that, I think that can apply also to obviously to, to mm-hmm. not non-parents. What about adult to adult? Can you, yeah. Cause I think that, like you said, since our society doesn't really do this, yeah. <laughs> that w- I know you were talking about that in the middle of the sermon too, but yeah, that's yeah, another yeah. one. I'm like, how do you, how would you do that in a not terrible way? Or what, what do you, what would you do? So just to prepare people psychologically, everything that is new feels terrible the yes. first time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, yeah, it's going to feel weird. And it's a practice. It's something you try and you practice and you get better at it through practice. So, yeah, I encourage adults to do this. It is a very common missionary preparation skill, you know. So, like, if you're on a college campus somewhere where there's a group of a small group for people that are interested in missions, this is going to be done. You, you will do this if you want to prepare for missions. It's a, it's a basic skill that, like, every missionary training small group is going to fold in a lot or a little, but it's going to come up. Um, so we are obsessed with books and writing and reading in our culture. Uh, but throughout world history, people have done truth and truth telling via listening and reciting or listening and narrating. Um, so it's a, it's just an important skill. I mean, I would make the case if you don't have the skill and you don't work on the skill, 
you're like missing out on something that all humans have done throughout history. It's going to make it harder even for you to understand um, the Bible if you don't understand the the practice of storytelling. Hmm. Yeah, all traditions were big. Yeah, yeah. Um, Chris, art, new sermon, new art. Uh, yeah, it's funny. People don't get to see it anymore. <laughs> so that's sad about the pandemic. Maybe I'll throw it out there somewhere. Um, so nobody's seen this art. Uh, it was on. Oh, okay. In the screen. Yeah. 30 people saw it. Wait. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Okay. Maybe a little bit online. You're right. Um, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty simple this time around. Just, to, I got, had a picture of a book and I, um, on the bottom of the of the picture and then uh kind of trying to flow out of that upwards is a picture of uh jerusalem actually um mm-hmm. i tried to do some medieval castle stuff and dave wanted it to actually be, <laughs> be more correct which is cool because jerusalem had a the, the painting has a wall around it and it's, it's a picture from the a painting f- like from the view of i believe it's the mount of olives looking looking to jerusalem um, and so it kind of has a little bit of the castle feel and there's somebody on a horse. I don't know if the horse is, is the correct kind of horse for that era, Dave, but, <laughs> uh, but, uh, <laughs> but so anyway, and then, uh, and then, yeah, I have a kind of a symbol up at the top. It's a crown, a crown, and then it has like a laurel, um, which I haven't really researched totally the significance of that, uh, but I do know that, that there's some champion symbi- symbology of that, um, and I believe, pro- hopefully, I think there might be a little bit of peace symbology um, mixed in. I don't know if you know that off the top of your head, Dave, but mm. I, I had a few hours to crank that out this week, <laughs> getting ready for the people coming in person. So I had way less time than usual. So um, those are the things I'm hoping it means. <laughs> at this point. <laughs> we'll get a link to it in the show notes. Uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sweet. Good. <laughs> well, you can look at it and tell us what the artwork means. How about that? Mm, <laughs> you guys tell us what it means. All right. So, Stories of the King uh, talks a little about the sermon series. How long is it going to be? Do we know? We never mm, know. About 11 to 13 weeks. <laughs> really? Let me look it up. It's for the summer. Okay. Well, uh, some are always feel shorter than here. that, but yeah, some are I think it's 12. Short. Well, 11 to 13, we'll call it. We don't need to know for sure. I just know Joey doesn't like exact numbers. He feels like it hems him in. He likes to mm. keep it loose. So yeah, that's me. You know that. <laughs> um, well, uh, um, all of these are going to be from different places in the Gospels, right? So mm-hmm. we're not necessarily in like one book in these chapters, etc. So this week you started in Matthew chapter 4? Yeah, Matthew 4. <laughs> uh, here's my loose plan. Then Luke 8, the healing of G- that Jesus does. Um, Mark 4 is the calming of the sea. Matthew 14, the feeding of 5,000. So yeah, just kind of jumping around through the Gospels, different Gospels. Mm-hmm. So different stories, Matthew, hearing Mark about them, time. finding the main points, being able to yeah. re say them, retell them. Nice. Okay, so this week from Matthew chapter 4 is about what your sermon title was that the king fights. Is that still accurate? Fights. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and there was a whole other thing I left out, which makes me sad, but 
Um, yep, King fights, and I tried to clarify that he's fighting the human temptation to feel like God has abandoned us. So he's he's fighting Satan temptation and fighting the fight of trusting God, and he's fighting that fight for us. And so, I guess before we get to those ideas, what is the story that we're retelling or we're learning to retell this week? It's the story oh, of good. Jesus so being this... baptized and being tempted in the wilderness? Yeah. So basically, I kind of jumped back into his baptism a little bit, but it's really the story of his temptation in the wilderness. And so the story is that Jesus is thrown out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted. It's on purpose. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all on the same page about this. He's going to go fight with the devil. Um, and this is like an opening battle in his earthly ministry. Um, and so there's a lot of, the, the Gospels all paint the beginning of his ministry in different ways. Um, but but three of them agree that this is a really important first thing, you know, first, second thing that he does. Um, and so if you look at the the whole Bible, this is an echo of, of Adam and Eve. So Adam and Eve are tempted by Satan and they give in. Jesus is tempted by Satan and he wins the fight. So um, I didn't really get into that Sunday, but it's a it's a nice contrast when you look at the story of the entire Bible. This is the he's the new Adam. He's the one that wins the fight when the rest of us have lost the fight. Um, so, yeah, he goes out in the desert and Satan tempts him to take the easy road, avoid suffering, avoid the wilderness, avoid hunger. Um, and Satan brings in the idea of like, well, if you really are the son of God or if you really are loved by God, then you could take this easy way out. And Jesus refuses that and says, no, I, I trust the father. I will only worship the Father, and and so he wins the battle by by trusting God and answering the Scripture. See I love the it. new and better Adam. Mm-hmm. That's such a good like if you can study Scripture enough to to know how epic each of those moments is. I was just had had it happen with the kids at breakfast, but that you know it's not just like you said it's not just Jesus not giving into temptation. It, Mm-hmm. And it's not even just he's the new Adam. That's great. You know, but then if you've studied scripture, you also see like there's all these could be saviors that come up again and again through the Old Testament. This could be the guy. Nope, he messed up. This could be the guy. No, he gave into temptation. This could be the guy. Yeah. No, no, no. And then it's finally like so I think that's so huge for your kiddos if you can help bring in the weight of of what's yeah. happening a little bit. And that's hard to do, but like for that, for, for instance, that story, saying that, like, there's been all of these kings and prophets and messiahs that could have that could have saved everyone, yeah. but they didn't. And we yeah. we know a thousand reasons why. But so then, when you're telling this story of Jesus in the desert, you're like, it's almost like everyone's holding their breath. Will he do it? Will he be just like every single other one, or will he mm-hmm. will mm-hmm. he do? Th- and that's like even you couching it in the term of fight. Is yeah. just so such a great headed in that direction of this is exciting. It's not just yeah. Oh, he didn't steal the cookie. Okay, cool. Moving on. No, it's like this. It all hangs on this kind of a thing, right? Um, mm-hmm. We were just reading uh, this morning at the table the story of uh, Jesus going into the temple and reading a prophecy from Isaiah 
Mm. And he's basically, we were, and, and I could have just read through it and said, okay. And then Jesus said, this prophecy is fulfilled in your hearing. And then we move on. Or, but, but it was like such a great thing to see their eyes light up when I said, so you realize what's happening. Someone hands him this book and he reads it, this ancient prophecy. And then he says, this is happening today <laughs> and they're like whoa <laughs> so i don't know this is yeah. encouragement if you can help like help them restore see the why sense of like matter yeah that sense of story and uh tension yeah, yeah 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 that's really good so you need when the you said- audio bible uh that morgan freeman reads <clears throat> yes the dramatized bible those are those are helpful to help you think that through. and that's i think that's part of what's been cool about that chosen movie series a lot of people are watching is just you're like oh yeah this was a story that happened dramatically in real life you know um yeah, it's cool. and uh man i think i don't know why we translate the book of judges as the book of judges it should really be the book of saviors or the mm. book of superheroes and when you catch it that way, you're like, oh, these are all terrible saviors or, oh, these are all terrible superheroes. Because because that's really kind of what the word judge means in that context. It's not just like guys with a gavel deciding cases in the court of law. That's, that's not really what it is. They're like heroes. You know? Yeah. Mm, that's cool. <laughs> so if the king fights... What draws him to fight? What drives him to fight? Mm. And point one is that love drives him to fight. How do we see that it's love? What Mm -hmm. lets us know that? Yeah. So that's where I cheated and looked back at the baptism. At the baptism. Did you cheat or did you read scripture in context? Is that cheating? Mm. Thank you. Mm. Yes. I don't know. It's good. You're right. You're right. It's not (laughs) cheating. Uh the father says, this is my beloved son, whom I am well pleased. Uh, so he's affirmed by the father's love. And you've got the spirit. That part's a little more artsy and weird, but you've got the spirit descending on him, which is kind of an echo of the imagery of the spirit descending on creation back all the way back in Genesis 1. And then you've got the systematic theology idea in, in Galatians and Romans 4 that's like, we, we know the gospel that the father has sent for us, that the father loves us and adopts us in Christ. And we know that, and that's affirmed to us by the Holy spirit clarifying that. So, so Paul says twice Galatians and Romans, the spirit is what enables us to cry out Abba father to know we're loved. And then Jesus even says a similar thing in John 14, when he's leaving his disciples, he's like, I'm not leaving you as orphans. You're going to feel like orphans this is my paraphrase. You will feel like orphans when I leave but you're not orphans. I'm sending the spirit to clarify that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we see this kind of coming together at the baptism of Jesus, father, son, and Holy spirit. We see the father's message of love and the spirit's comfort and presence clarifying that he is loved. And then that's how he faces the, uh, the wilderness. The spirit actually drives him to the wilderness, takes him out there. Yeah, I was actually going to ask you about the wilderness. I mean, I get Jesus being taken to the wilderness and tempted, but then you tried to, or you were painting a picture of a different kind of wilderness. Can you help paint that picture a little better? Yeah, so I'm going to go way out to like how my secular friends see the world. Um, it's It's... It's a problem that every religion has to struggle with is like, why is there suffering? Um, 
why is there evil in the world? So either, you know, a traditional view might be there's this evil and suffering because I did something bad, which is part of the Christian view, um, but not completely. And then there's also this idea that, well, no, the evil and suffering is not really real, right? That might be more Eastern view. It's kind of an illusion. We can transcend it mentally, kind of like Matrix uh, meeting some Eastern religions, that kind of concept. Um, but we actually believe, okay, the, the suffering and brokenness in the world does have a tie in general to sin. That is part of what makes the world broken. But me being in the suffering world doesn't mean God hates me and he's punishing me. God actually has a plan for me to make the suffering world better. And so Jesus turns it on its head. Paul turns it on its head. Um, Moses, all biblical characters turn it on its head where they're like, nobody likes suffering. Nobody wants to be in the wilderness. But if we understand the wilderness differently, if we understand being in a difficult place or being in a hard world as, okay, this is part of God's plan of love. He sent you here to make it better, to reestablish paradise. I think it turns it on its head because as Americans, we have such a easy life often that that we've equated like, oh, my success and my easy life is because God loves me. And then if things are bad, if I get a disease or if we live through a pandemic or if I lose my job or if something bad happens and maybe God's mad at me and he doesn't like me anymore. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to fracture that in people's head and say, no, the spirit sends you into the wilderness to fight evil and to bring God's love. Um, so that's kind of the concept I'm trying to work with. I want people to to enter with that mindset into worship. Mm. It'd be so good. I'm here to fight the silence, not mm. to not to expect there to be perfect, beautiful sound, and then I'll decide whether to sing or not. <laughs> That'd be so good. Yeah. Yes. Good. Yes. Good. Yeah. Yeah. I like Piper had a book or sermon or both. He always. Yeah. Uh, called fighting for joy i think right mm. you all remember that one that was really good sounds like piper it's been 20 years so it's getting a little fuzzy but yeah the idea is we don't we don't just settle for lack of joy we fight for joy you know so that that kind of reminds me of what you're saying about worship chris mm. it's cool <clears throat> but it does seem as if we try to turn this into heaven mm-hmm. uh, this is as good as it gets yeah and in some ways, we just live with that. And yeah. it's really easy for us as Americans because we're pretty comfortable. Mm-hmm. And and so we get pretty excited when our comfort's taken away, like a pandemic comes along. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. But it's an awakening that, hey, this isn't as good as it gets. It's going to be better. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. So you, t- you talked about how... God's love should drive us like it drove Jesus. Um, mm-hmm. Drive us to the wilderness? Drive us to what? Yeah, I think I blurred that a little bit. So, if you're living a life of comfort and ease, you might need to pray about that and say, like, Lord, is there a wilderness you want me to enter into? Am I avoiding the wilderness? Right? Am I spending all my energy and resources to avoid suffering? And is that really your plan for me? Um, 
I think most people are not there right now. I think most people are like, wow, this life is bad. You know, the world is broken. I'm suffering. And, and so I would say, so either if you're completely avoiding suffering, you might need to pray about entering into somebody else's suffering better. Or you might be really struggling with the suffering you're living in now. And then that requires a, a change of mindset. Say, Lord, show me how to be faithful to you in, in this wilderness of suffering, in this broken world, in this trial that I'm going through. Um, how can I, how can I trust you? How can I serve others in the midst of this trial? Hmm. And I would add, and I didn't add this yesterday, but I would add also, it's okay to ask for help too. If you know, if you're in that, <laughs> your role might be asking a brother or sister for help to encourage you in this, in the suffering, you know, that might be part of it. Yeah, so I guess you were coming at it from the idea of the Holy Spirit driving Christ into the wilderness to fight. Mm-hmm. I was, yeah, I was always thinking it was more like God's love motivates us to fight sin, right? We we can take risks, we can do things because we know we're loved. Yeah, I, th- I know they're both there, but mm-hmm. but I hadn't thought about it in terms of wherever we are. I was just thinking about in general. We have to we have to look at what motivates Christ to do things, mm-hmm. and we have to say, well, what motivates me to do things? And and when we look at Scripture carefully, mm-hmm. we're always going to see it based on our trust in God. That's why we do things that yeah. are uh, fulfilling His His intent for us. Yeah. 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 So the other translation is is literally like dragged or driven mm. this this one matthew 4 is he was led but yeah i think it's mark i need to double check that but anyway yeah it it's just a startling picture even yeah. if it's led whether or not you use the word drive or not it's just it's just startling like oh the holy spirit sent him into a place of difficulty to be tempted by the devil that was on purpose <laughs> you know like that's just that's that's hard for us to deal with so Mm. Man, I just, I just, yeah, I probably can't say enough that the importance of that, your perception, your expectation of a situation and your mm-hmm. expectation of life uh, mm-hmm. and how that affects your response to it. I think the two that really come to mind, I think that we could probably all relate to in our current culture is uh, work and marriage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Though they're both things that, that people write billions of articles about how to have us a fulfilling, how to be fulfilled by your job, how to be fulfilled by your marriage, how to finally find the right partner, how to finally find the right job. That's going to make you hundred percent happy and make your life have meaning. And, um, and so, so yeah, if you enter with that mindset of my job should make my life have purpose and meaning and, and make me happy, basically every time it doesn't do that, it's like, uh, yeah, it's like poking at you, poking at you, poking at you. Oh, this is wrong. This is wrong. This is wrong. And then you're just yeah. miserable all the time. If it's like, oh, I'm here to go into a broken situation and by God's power, make it this much better, <laughs> then mm. this is completely different. You're just like, okay, job's going to be hard. I'm here to just like make someone else's day better today or, you know, uh, and, and you you mentioned that in a different point with, with marriage and uh, and you're, you know, loving your friends and things like that. But it's like, 
I, I just fall to that all the time. Like, yeah, I, I do have a baseline expectation of perfection and then I get annoyed by, <laughs> by every, every time it's not that, but, um, yeah, that's just, that just feels so huge for us, all of us. Yeah. My Friday, I shared a little bit. It was my day off and I don't want to go into too much detail about it, but it was like, I had this expectation of like relaxation and fun. And then a friend's in a car wreck and my daughter's in a car wreck. And I spent half my day kind of with the adrenaline rush, you know, of, oh my gosh, is everybody okay? I've got to run. I've got to do something hurt. You know, I mean, it was just like a panicky, uh, crazy thing that happened twice, <laughs> twice in one day. Like, oh my gosh, it's so weird. And it was a, it was really interesting just experientially like, Lord, this is your day, you know, like. This is what you chose for me today. This is good. I, what a privilege that I get to help my friend. What a privilege that I get to help my daughter. Mm. The day's not really about me relaxing. Like, that's not really the purpose. You know, I mean, somewhat, that's kind of how we envision Sabbath. That's what Sabbath, we mm. relax from our normal work and worship God. I think it's generally, you know, ceasing, resting. But, but still, it was like, yeah, God, you you called me to this. This is, this is your good plan. And it was good. So it was like a really mixed, weird mix of emotions for me, even in that, in that day. So. Yeah. That kind of applies what Chris was talking about with marriage. I was listening to Alistair Begg for a few minutes of the day. I happened to be in the car at a weird time of the day. Anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, he made this comment. He said, you know, living in marriage is, it's like the golf swing. And mm-hmm. for anybody who's ever tried to swing a golf club correctly, it's a really simple, it's a very basic thing. You turn away and you turn back. The whole mm-hmm. intent is to have the club face square to the ball when you turn back, right? Mm-hmm. But it is incredibly hard to get it right. Mm-hmm. And that's the way it is to love your spouse. I mean, it's okay. you're going to have to work at it. It's going to be a fight mm-hmm. for you to do, for you to love them. Uh, and it's, it's just going to be, a basic thing, right? Mm. That you do this, you do these things to love your spouse, but it's an incredibly hard for us as people with a sin nature to get it right all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I just thought that was really helpful just to, yeah. to give us a picture that, yeah, life is, is very good. We're in a mm-hmm. very good place when we're in a marriage, but it's going to be a lot of hard work and we're not always going to get it right. Mm. Yeah, that's a great, it's funny. I've only played, I've gone to hit golf balls twice with friends, I think. And I think a third time I actually played golf, like on a course 20 years ago when I was a youth pastor, some, some of my teens wanted to take me. Yeah. So I haven't had a lot of experience, but all three times I was struck by, this is not like football where I try to smash your face in as hard as I can. <laughs> right. I have to relax to do this. It's really weird. It's like, because, yeah. you know, the first few times I do it, I'm like grunting, trying to hit this ball as hard as I can. And they're like, no, 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 relax. <laughs> huh, so weird. Anyway, I recommend everyone trying to swing at a golf club once or twice. It's a very strange mm-hmm. experience. Don't do it in your house. Not in your house. That's good. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's like, and that makes me want to just flesh out one thing in my for my own head. Maybe y'all can help me. So mm-hmm. I think the gospel vision of marriage is the easier one for me to do than the job version. I'm trying to. So for the for marriage, it's like 
I don't come to marriage wondering if I'm loved and put the full weight of the answer to that question on my wife. I, I should, as a believer, come to, to marriage knowing I'm already loved and being able to pour out that love I already have on them, regardless of the reciprocal effect, right? Um, I want, how do you, help me preach that about job, because I think I really do, I don't know if you guys see these same articles swirling around of just, here's how to find your perfect job that's going to fulfill you, you know? Um, so what, what's, what's that interaction look like? Um, yeah, let me throw that to you guys. I, I, I have ideas, but let's see what you come up with, right? Like I guess you I'm come, not sure how it's different. Tell me how it's different first. I don't, I'm not um, sure. You're just saying it's easier? You're, well, I'll, I'll say this. The, the beginning it, to me is it's, it feels like a different interchange. I'm not going to my job looking for love. <laughs> uh, maybe. Ah, I guess, I, guess okay. I am a little bit. Sure, sure. So the same thing applies, but I think uh, maybe this is a guy thing. I don't know. I'm only, I've only been a guy. So um, is it purpose? Is it... Um, I think I think I have a, this deep desire to know that I'm not wasting my life. We've talked a lot about that um, mm -hmm. for yeah. you know our our marketing language. You know, um, so so what is it that Jesus just gives you so you don't have to put that full weight upon your job? Yeah, that makes sense. Hmm. I think. The thing that struck me the most in the last five or six years is the idea of apprenticing with Jesus as a human who is trusting the Father and watching for clues. And I think I've talked about this. This will come up at Christmas because we're talking about the incarnation. But like Jesus's humanness is really important for us to study. And as we fight cults, we typically fight no, no, he's God. He's God. You know, we talk about we talk a lot theologically about the divinity of Jesus, but practically he's a human. So he's 100 percent God, 100 percent man. So that's been the most helpful category for me with work. Um, because, yeah, yeah, it does feel like it's a little different with work. Expectations of command and control and, you know, the ability to make things happen that you dream of and you know, make your visions come true. Well, yeah, it doesn't always really work. So um, just seeing Jesus's contentment with limited time, limited resources, can't be everywhere at once, can't do everything all at once. Um, that That's how Jesus lived. And he was cool with it. You know, <laughs> like he trusted the father's love in that. All right, this is the next thing for me to do. I'm going to do it. Here we go. Uh, but that's been helpful to me. I don't know if that scratches the itch you were talking about. That's good. I mean, I think what comes to mind for me actually is like the semi-terrible 80s and 90s thing we said all the time. God has a wonderful plan for your life, which is true, but it became its own thing, right? It, it kind of <laughs> kind of exploded into something else. Yeah. But yeah. I think that's that's also what I guess I think is like, we have purpose. We don't need a job to give us purpose. We have a mission. Mm -hmm. We don't need the job to give us a mission. We have a father who approves of us. We don't need approval from our boss and that it, all of our you know worth doesn't hang on our boss's approval. Um, so I guess that's where my brain goes. And that's the golf swing you're trying to perfect at work is, is that's hard to work out, right? Like that sounds like a great idea way up here, but how do you say, I've got to turn in this form and I'm going to do it for the glory of God or, or for, you know, moms mm -hmm. that stay at home moms. I've got to, 
change this diaper or, you know, whatever, teach my kid math for the glory of God. And that feels a lot different, but there's the golf swing you got to figure out. Right. Yeah. Well, I, I don't know how to get us back to where we were going, but, uh, um, just more golf analogies. You'll figure You're out. welcome. Uh, yeah. When I was deployed, people mailed us golf balls and golf clubs and we just launched them outside. But that's about it. That's my experience with that. Um, part of your application in this was, do you know you're loved? And you Mm -hmm. talked about, um, a little bit, I think about the gospel being the ultimate cure. Like I'm reading from your notes and trying to remember Mm -hmm. what you Mm -hmm. said, but I remember you spending more time about being, um, representatives and celebrating with those who celebrate, crying with those who cry. Can we move into that so we can get towards the yeah. second point? That was a yeah, long... Yeah. Uh, so the, I wrote an article for the paper this week, uh, spent a lot of time unpacking Romans 12, 15 through 16, and how that's kind of a roadmap for uh, diversity or race or disagreement or division, or, you know, whatever, whatever you want to call it, what's going on in our country right now. Specifically, I was like, We've got people on multiple sides of the pandemic issue frustrated, and we got people on multiple sides of the race issue frustrated. And Romans 12, 15 through 16 gives us a roadmap of how to love each other. And so I was trying to make that connection. Like, that's the application of, you know, you're loved, then you enter into the wilderness as a loved one, loving others, struggling in the wilderness. And if you don't believe you're loved, you'll just spend all your time trying to get out of the wilderness, you know, like trying to figure out how to make it easier for yourself. And I think that'll cause you to be defensive. I think um, what I've noticed a lot, I'm going to totally overgeneralize here. So if you're listening out there, uh, sorry if I'm overgeneralizing on what you're feeling psychologically, but I feel like (laughs) intuitively that whites that are most defensive about racism have been hurt a lot and feel like victims themselves. That That's what I've seen. So people that have been picked on or have been victims themselves, they get really bristly when they hear blacks talk about feeling like victims and they're kind of crying out for help, you know, like, Hey, what about me? I've been hurt. So that I've just seen that this is anecdotal. It's intuitive, but like the five or six, people I've known that have that have had a defensive posture about this I I know they've been hurt significantly not necessarily hurt by blacks but just kind of like hurt in life so when they hear you know a class of people saying we're hurt and it's people like you that have hurt us they're like wait 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 I'm not a hurter I'm a person that's been hurt you know and they're they're real defensive about that whereas I think if we reframe it as yeah we've all been hurt but those of us that are loved by God have found the solution in Jesus that gives us the ability to be, you know, nurses in the hospital, not just patients, you know, and attend, attend to the wounds of our friends. When there are people who are extra hurting right now. And so yeah. we need to yeah. not overlook that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I feel like Romans 12, 15 through 16 uh, plays that out. My translation is celebrate with those who celebrate, cry with those who cry, live in harmony with each other. Do not be proud but struggle alongside the weak. Never consider yourselves as wise. Um, Those are really strong directives. (laughs) I mean, it's like, 
I think some people look at that and they're like, oh, yeah, yeah, whatever, impossible New Testament commands. But I really think we can do that. And I think, I think if, we, if we know we're loved, we can do Romans 12, 15 through 16 with people. So how do we do it then is your second point, right? He fights mm-hmm. with God's word. That's part of the fight. What, is, what does that look like, your second point of fighting with God's word? I mean, again, yeah. we're in this storytelling, so it's easy to tell the mm-hmm. story and be like, and he, Satan talked to him and he said, mm-hmm. blah, blah, this passage from scripture. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah. what does that actually look like? Well, so the the accusations, condemnation, temptations, you know, I'm trying to think of all the words for what Satan's doing. The negative thoughts and words are going to come from the evil one, and we answer those with scripture. And the answers are about, I would basically summarize as, here's God's word, and I'm, I've memorized or I'm quoting God's word, and it reminds me that I can trust God. Mm-hmm. So here's God's word, God's message of trust and love. So I'm going to quote it back to you to remind myself and to remind you, Satan, or anybody else that's making me doubt it, that I am loved by God. So um, so the first part is Jesus fought this fight because he knew he was loved by God. And then the fight heats up and he's fighting it with God's word, right? So, So it's kind of a circle, right? Like it started at the baptism with God's word. God's word was, you're my son, I love you. <laughs> right mm-hmm. and then he goes into battle and then the battle heats up and he has to quote it no 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 god loves me i can trust him this is god's word i can trust him he's good and so i think it's a a cycle of we we start with our identity in christ we know we're loved that's the message it's affirmed to us by the holy spirit we go into battle oh no i don't know if i believe this anymore <laughs> and we ongoing are swinging the sword of god's word to say no wait this is truth this is who god is this is what he says about me um, and that enables us to, to keep going. And we call that preaching to ourselves. We say that a lot. Mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. Is that really what's happening in this text, you think? Uh, yes. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you tell me what you think is happening. What do you think is happening? I mean, I don't, I don't know, but it, yeah. I don't know that it's, I don't know. I don't know how accurate it is to say that Jesus is reminding himself of God's word. Mm. Yeah. Well, I think that goes back to Dave's point that we need to really consider the humanity of Jesus. Sure. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. and as living as a man, yeah, he had the same needs that we have, um, mm-hmm. and he needed to remind himself, nope, uh, I I know that God loves me, and I know I can yeah. trust Him. Yeah. yeah. It's hard mm-hmm. for us. To, it's hard for me to even say that. Yeah. Right, because we think so much of the deity of Christ, we think, "Oh, he doesn't have to do that. He's, he's yeah. God." Yeah, yeah. Well, here's the interesting thing: look at the temptations; they're focused in on him taking advantage of his deity. So, Philippians two is this beautiful unpacking of this, where it's like he didn't take advantage of his deity; mm-hmm. he lived as a person. <laughs> you know, so, um, so that that word that's translated, uh. He didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped. Mm-hmm. The new NIV 2011 has translated it as taking advantage, I think, or uh, used selfish. I can't remember. Anyway, but it, it's fascinating. Like, go spend some time Googling that and why the 2011 chose the translation they chose. Look at the King James Version, how it's like robbery. You know, so like, that's a fascinating word and a fascinating section of scripture. 
that is basically trying to unpack what we're saying right now. This is really hard to understand. Jesus had utter equality with God. He absolutely is divine. He's 100% God. He's 100% man. And somehow he he didn't, I don't know a better way to say it, he didn't cheat. <laughs> he was all in as a human, as an obedient human. Um, yeah. Again, it's hard It's hard to even say all this without it sounding like you're doubting the divinity of Jesus. It was all there. He didn't, I would, maybe he didn't access it, might be a way we would say it, to honor the divinity. Hmm. Or, In either way, I think it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful discussion of trying to understand what's inside Jesus' heart and head and what he was experiencing. But either way, we know he was living as an example. It was written as an example. So... I think that is that's that's the journey I'm on with Joey, right? Where mm-hmm. I have always read that as this is what Jesus wants us to do, right? Mm-hmm. But I was definitely more reading it as he's got his act together. He's not experiencing uh, any sort of doubt or weakness. He's just yeah. he's just saying, here you go, guys. Here's how you do it when you're perfect, you know. Yeah. And I, huh. I we know he was experiencing hunger. That's without doubt. You know, we don't really, it, it, this passage doesn't show us insider's head, but yeah, I, I think it's an interesting, well, and, um, and, yeah. Yeah, this, we, we don't understand how to separate temptation and sin because yeah. they're like never separated in our experience, right? So, you know, Hebrews 4.15 says he was tempted in every way as we are yet without sin. That's confusing for us. We're like, what? How's that possible? You know, <laughs> like that just not, that, that doesn't fit our experience they're so intertwined in our in our hearts and heads it's confusing yeah i guess i guess what i was thinking was something along the lines of you know it's it's using scripture to attack satan not so much Mm -hmm. to build up jesus's defense if that makes sense but oh yeah yeah no that's fair that's fair yeah i I would agree with that if that makes sense but anyways i I don't think it's well and that's a good that's a helpful distinction of we're like this uh yeah, that's a really helpful distinction. Yeah, it was offen- it was offensive. Yeah, he went, yeah. Because it sounded like you were saying, Satan tempts Jesus like this, and Jesus says, nope, the Bible says this, trust this, mm-hmm. Jesus, mm-hmm. which... I think it's both and, really, yeah. yeah. I mean, as I'm wrestling with it, I'm like, those things are the same. It's just like, in our weakness, they're not always the same. Well, you know what I mean? Yeah, sure. And I, I think it ties into your sword of the spirit, being the word mm-hmm. of God, and then your illustration yeah. of Peter swinging the sword and all that. So that, that's where I was yeah. thinking, I think. But yeah, yeah. Let's move into that more and away from Joey's yeah. dumb questions. <laughs> no, they're good. They're really good. Great one. Just kidding. Yeah. yeah. So Ephesians 6 says that the word is the sword of the spirit. It's it's the offensive weapon in the armor of God passage. I don't I don't think I unpacked that all Sunday. I did contrast the negative, you know, Peter had a old-fashioned sword dagger and he cuts off a dude's ear when he's coming for his buddy jesus and jesus says nope that's not how we're going to do this um and so yeah i was trying to contrast that like uh it's not aggression it's not power it's not the flesh it's the word of god is how we're going to fight our battle um and so fighting with truth instead of fighting with power i think is a good contrast there where where then you see the nonviolent protests of, of MLK as a good example of that, right? So he was heavily influenced by Gandhi, but he was also heavily influenced by his Christian worldview. 
And it's fascinating to watch Selma and see the trainings that they did before the protests and to see, you know, part of his entourage, how they wanted to fight and how some of them did throw punch, you know, so like things got heated. But I just think because of the current climate right now we're in with protests, you know, and, and some white people think protests are always bad. Um, and then some white people think protesters and looters are the same thing. You know, like there's all this confusion swirling around. And so I thought it was just a helpful distinction to say, OK, uh, Peter was a violent protester <laughs> and he started being violent. And Jesus said, we're not going to do the violence. We're going to fight with truth. And that's the model he gives us in his fight in the desert. He fights the devil with truth. Um, mm. So anyway, I think that can play out in a lot of different ways in our life. Hmm. Other thoughts on that? Or we can move to point three. We're running out of time. All right. All right. Point three is that he calls others into the fight. Hold on. I'm not there. Yeah. He calls others into the fight. Um, And you, I mean, this is from the latter half of chapter four and, you know, going and calling the disciples basically. Right. Is that what it was? Yeah. Yep. Sorry, I'm not completely at the notes where I'm supposed to be. Um, so what does this look like for us then? Is this like going and gathering our friends to help us fight, or is this different than that? Yeah, so I think the metaphor, to continue the metaphor, evangelism is not just, might be part of this, but it's not just getting someone to believe that Jesus died on the cross for the sins. It is also inviting them into our wilderness commission to fight evil and trust God and to make this world a better place by fighting evil, trusting God, fighting with God's word, listening to what God has to say, loving your neighbors. So that's actually what we're inviting people into. I think a lot of times we've truncated evangelism and the role of the church is just get people to pray this prayer and then the rest of it will all work out later, you know, but we're inviting them into a commission, you know, the great commission. We're inviting them into a, a role as new Adams and new Eve's extending Eden, extending paradise. Um, so when he says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men, we're gathering men back to God's team. Um, and so that's what repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, is, is saying. Jesus is like, turn, turn from your ways. The kingdom of heaven is right here. You're, you're welcome. Come join the party. Come on in. You know, um, it's, very, it's a very open invitation to come join what he's doing in this fight against evil and suffering in the world. That's a big question. Yeah, that's good. I guess... Yeah, I was I was wondering a little bit, is this purely evangelism? Um, like Jesus going out and getting brand new converts and then training them, or is this like finding people who I already know? Anyways, is this like mentorship? Mm-hmm. Is it all well, anyways? Yeah, no, that's good. The the it's both, right? So mentorship so the the two levels of people talked about it so 419 let's just look at 419 419 says he said to them follow me and i'll make you fishers of men so uh historically that's been interpreted as christian um learn to invite other people to become christians 
Mm-hmm. So, Christian, follow Jesus in such a way that you learn to invite others to follow Jesus. And it's a, it's a life cycle. Another way to say it is you can't follow Jesus if you don't tell people about Jesus. You're not following him, mm-hmm. just to be real harsh, right? But we often separate that like, well, I'm an expert at evangelism, but my neighbor is an expert at discipleship. And those are two different things and they're not related, you know, sure. but they are, they are related. So yeah. clearly the New Testament says some people are more gifted at, at one thing and more gifted at another. And that's totally fine. But it has to, you know, it has to be a life cycle. If it's not a life cycle of continual progress and following Jesus and inviting people to follow Jesus, then, then it all starts to break down and be like in, incoherent, I guess. So, so yeah, but clearly... He's saying, people that already in some way believe in me, come follow me so you can believe in me more. And then you'll, you'll be fishers and then you'll invite others to follow me. Um, so you get this, yeah, played out in a lot of different places. So I don't know if that helps or if that just muddies it. I know. I wasn't looking for anything <laughs> specifically. Yeah. So it is evangelism and discipleship together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like private spirituality is not a thing in Christianity. <laughs> you mm, you yeah. don't just get to sit and and think good thoughts. Uh, I'm gonna muddle my way through this. It's a half-formed thought, but um, mm-hmm. when we prayed on Sunday morning, uh, the Psalm of the day. Anyway, long story, but uh, Psalm 37 uh, was was just interesting parallel thinking. I, I I was adding color to this whole conversation for me. Um, Verse three says, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Um, commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him and he will act, act. He will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. And so you see kind of that pattern throughout. Trust in the Lord. So that feels internal and do good. So get out there. <laughs> and then. Uh, he will bring forth, commit your way to the Lord. He will act, but also he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. So that's this, this outward shining thing. So again, it's like, they're just over and over again, connected, like what you believe and what you do, um, what is true of you inside, you have character, but also that goes out as reputation. Um, and so, yeah, they're just, they're just always connected. You can't, you can't just say this is my thing and i don't care about you <laughs> do what you want uh <laughs> i don't have to love you right I just, i'm just gonna sit here and love god and i don't have to love you and that's just never how it's described yeah and i think to connect that that's really good psalm 37 is great and i think to connect that to the current race tensions in our country um see my black brothers and sisters inviting people to connect with them over their hurt and we have a responsibility to connect with people as human beings over their hurt. And then I see others kind of throwing down, you must say this or say that, or I hate you. <laughs> That's not really an invitation to connection, right? And so I think that is genu- genuinely confusing people. So some people are saying, I'm hurting, connect with me. Other people are saying, uh, I'm, I'm done. I'm done with you unless you connect in a certain way. You know what I mean? And you're like, well, those are two different things. And we need to make sure we, we separate those out. Like those are, those are different things. And, uh, and probably there's probably all different iterations of things that sound more or less like that too. 
Um, but as humans, we actually have an obligation to connect with people. Um, so that's I don't good. know if that makes any sense, but I think that's, that's, that's just the thing I'm, I'm trying to press people towards. I get a lot of answers from people like I'll press towards connection and then I'll get a pushback of like, well, but there are manipulators and bad actors out there. Like, okay, yeah, <laughs> there always are. Right. So that's, yeah. Healthy boundaries in our lives teaches us, yeah, I don't have to bend over backwards and do everything that everybody says all the time, but that's different than saying I refuse to give a crap, you know, like that's the other extreme. <laughs> so it's like, we have to, we have to enter in and care and try and wrestle relationally. Yeah. That's not the same thing as saying, I will give myself over to believing and hearing and loving everything that you say, no matter what. Well, well no, that's not really a relationship either. You know, like that's codependency. So, um, yeah. man, that's, that's cooks versus critics all over again, too. Mm. I, I think the, uh, the, uh, I, I had a really helpful conversation this week and I won't even use specifics, but, but it was the conversation of I'm not going to say this slogan because mm -hmm. this slogan is connected to this organization and this mm -hmm. organization believes all mm -hmm. of these things. So I don't want to promote the organization by saying the slogan. And, and I finally, finally was like, okay, I, I kind of understand that. Like you don't want to market things you're not intending to market. But then at the end of the day, I realized that's, that's really just laziness because mm -hmm. it's what you should say is come up with a new slogan. That's not attached to that, right? Like find a new way to say it, find, find a way to show, yeah. you know, I, I, same thing. I see people saying, I watched this methodology happen, whether it's protests, right? I don't like that methodology. And then I come back, I need to come back with, so what's going to be your methodology? If you don't like yeah. that one, yes. find yes. a methodology. Like same so thing what's with the, your the thing blackout, gonna... like <laughs> the blackout profile pictures. I've heard people say, I don't like that. That doesn't do anything. I'm like, that's fine. What yeah. are you going to do? <laughs> like right yeah. and and I'm, yeah. I'm saying that to me too because i find myself somewhere like where i am scared of like what's the implication of that i don't really i don't really know all of i haven't read widely enough to understand what i'm saying when i'm saying something yeah but i need to get messy and i need to not be lazy and say i'm not going to do yeah. anything i'm not going to yeah. yeah so anyway does that make sense and, yeah you, you the conversation you don't get a yeah. buy to not love because you don't like one method yeah yeah yeah. And you may be completely right. Like I'm not even mm -hmm. in some sense, we don't even have to argue what the implications of a thing are. We have to say, find a thing that doesn't have the bad implications that you mm -hmm. are perceiving. Like, well, if you yeah. want one, I, I heard a chant yesterday. You ready for it? <laughs> uh, it was, yeah, yeah. Do justice, love mercy. I heard it. Chanted. Uh, yeah, that's a good one. Oh man. Do justice, yeah, yeah. love mercy, do justice, mm -hmm. love mercy. That was a good one. <laughs> Yeah. Amen. Well, other thoughts, ideas? Can we finish? There's screaming in my background. I don't know if anybody else wants to finish <laughs> for me. They're hang, they're hang I hear it. It's the voice crying in a, the wilderness. I hear <laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. We're doing our best. <laughs> so there was a motto i didn't give credit at the end of my sermon i started using some language and i'm realizing now i think i stole this from covenant seminary but i don't know if they use it anymore but covenant seminary at some point i think when i was going there maybe when i started like 20 years ago they were or 15 years i don't know yeah almost 20 they they had the message and manner of jesus i use that language i think that's a helpful uh i don't know pairing 
to think about. We want to be about the message of Jesus and the manner of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, I just throw that out there to people. I think it's a helpful way to think of following Jesus. Doctrine and devotion. Yeah. We should start a podcast and call it that. Theology and practice. Doxology. doxology yeah. Theology and doxology. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's all yeah, there. There's a lot of those. It's all there. Mm-hmm. Well, we invite you in the journey with us. We're not going to by any means pretend like we've got it all figured out and we're all there. Um, so please join us on the journey. Um, mm-hmm. Fight with us. Work on storytelling with us. We'll mm-hmm. see you all soon this Sunday at the latest live stream at 1045. But I'm sure you'll catch an update or two from us before that. Uh, anybody else got anything last minute? All right. Well, this has been Sunday Recap. Mm-hmm.